Hey, just want to take a quick break from this episode so I could tell you guys about how I just launched my new Patreon page. If you don't know about Patreon, it's a great way for people to support creators with a monthly subscription. Becoming a Patreon supporter can even come with a few perks, like early access to new episodes and getting special shoutouts on the podcast. I've recently started working part-time at my job so I can focus more time and energy on the podcast and YouTube channel. So any support would be massively appreciated, and it helps me towards my hope of making this my full-time job someday. So if you want to help support me in that, please head over to patreon.com slash hooptheory. That's patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash hooptheory. Thank you so much for listening, and enjoy the rest of the show. to the Hakeem Olajuwon episode of the Hoop Theory Podcast, aka episode 34. My name is Logan Wertman, and today, as always, I'm joined by my good friend, Jacob Roth. Jacob, how's it going? It's going fantastic. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. Uh, you know, a torn up a little bit again, not as bad as last time with the jersey number, because uh, last time it was Kareem versus Bird, and this time it's Hakeem versus Shaq, really, I guess would be the second, or Charles Barkley, maybe, but... I think this low 30s range, there's just so many stacked jersey numbers. Which is weird because I don't think of low 30s as like, oh yeah, there's a lot of great basketball players that rock the low 30s. Did we forget about Scottie Pippen last episode? Well, he would be after Bird and like... Yeah, but I just like, that's like another like... Yeah, I, there was plenty of honorable mentions for 33 that I didn't even, I didn't even say. Like there's Scottie Pippen, Patrick Ewing... Alonzo Mourning. Uh, is 33? No, what's, this could be a whole episode. Yeah. Making a Mount Rushmore for every basketball number. Dude, I literally have written down in my notes, like for episode ideas, to do a jersey number draft where we draft like, oh, and we get all the players. Oh, that'd be a fun off-season thing. Yeah, exactly. That'd be a really fun off-season thing. So look forward to that. <laughs> uh, just Listener. look forward to it. Yeah. Listener of the public. I pointed at the camera like you can see, but you can't because this is an audio-only platform. Yeah. But yeah, there's also David Thompson, Grant Hill, Marcus Gasol, I think it rounds out the list of honorable mentions for 33. That might be the GOAT jersey number, to be honest. But yeah, 34 has got a lot too. Anyways, we're not here to talk about just jersey numbers, I, but we I didn't mention Giannis or Ray Allen or Paul Pierce for 34. So there you go. But Giannis, honestly, might be the most fitting to use for this episode since he is pretty related to what we're going to be talking about. Um, I did want to talk about the Bucks. Even though, you know, they're not in this postseason currently, but their demise and the way that they went out, I feel like there's a lot to be talked about with it that we haven't really talked about. So, yeah, that's going to be like, I guess, the main topic of today's episode. But before we get to that, uh, we can just, you know, kind of go around the league, look at what's been going on in the playoffs so far or in recent days. Today, for context, is Sunday, May 7th. So we do have the Sixers and Celtics game tipping off in about an hour and a half-ish. And then the Nuggets and Suns game four to follow that later tonight. So two really big games for us here. I guess, what what do you expect to see in game four for the, the Celtics versus Sixers? So I said this on um, at work, and I said that I feel like game two, if we because this was before game three was played, game two feels a lot more repeatable or more 
likely to happen than game one, in my opinion. And I think a lot of the problem that the Celtics had in game one is they came in thinking that Embiid was going to play because they didn't get the series done in five and Embiid got an extra three days to rest. So I feel like they thought Embiid was going to come out and play. So that's how they did things in the first half. And then Harden torched them for, I think, 30 in the first half alone. Mm -hmm. And so then with that, in the second half, the Celtics, when they looked to make adjustments, their defense just kind of looked like it was in shambles. And then all of a sudden, like, no disrespect, is it Paul Reed? Yeah, Paul Reed. Was cooking. Like, he like looked like a dominant big man and not yeah. being disrespectful. <laughs> he's not. <laughs> to the extent that he was. And I think a lot of it was because, like, they went in with this game plan of, like, this is how we're going to stop Embiid. And so then they just got Trey Young, but it was James Harden instead. Mm -hmm. And so I don't think that'll happen again. Just because, if it, like, the, what they do to control Embiid and slow down Embiid, as well as slow down the rest of the Sixers' flow, works. Like, it just works. If Embiid's only going to be able to get 25, I don't think they're going to beat the Celtics. Well, what do they need to beat him now? It would be 3 out of 5. Yeah. No, they need to be 4 out of 5. No. I'm 3. 3 out of 5. But yeah, they need to beat him 3 out of 5, and I don't think... Or 3 out unless, of 4, actually. Yes, I'm stupid. 3 out of 4 games, and I don't think they can do that unless Embiid has some sort of crazy thing. Celtics also figured out, put Jalen Brown on James Harden instead of making Mark Smart do it and allow Marcus Smart to kind of harass everyone else on the defensive side of the ball. And offensively, um, the Celtics are very interesting because if they have a good offensive night, if you say, oh, Celtics look really good offensively, you don't know what happened. For some teams, for example, if I say the – what's a team that I can use? Oh, I say this and then it doesn't make sense because of this plus, but the Lakers' offense looked crazy good. You would probably assume KD and – or KD, AD, as in the first letter of the alphabet, and LeBron had a crazy good night. Like, that's what you would guess. Mm -hmm. But, like, the Celtics – they had a great offensive performance game, too. Jason Tatum had seven points. Yeah. Because everybody else picked up the slack. So it's just a weird offensively thing that I don't know. Uh, but then in the loss in game one, Jay Jason Tatum had a huge game, and Jalen Brown was a little bit quieter, and the bench was silent. So I don't know. It'll be interesting. Um, I'm going to probably say it'll be a very similar game to we saw for game three, but probably with a Philly win. Mm. I just don't want to count like beating Philly in um, is the Wells Fargo Arena or Wells whatever. Yeah, Wells Fargo. Their home court is extraordinarily difficult. Not as hard as it was during like the Ben Simmons era where they like just couldn't lose at home, like almost Warriors esque, couldn't lose at home. They're a little bit worse at home now. But the other thing that I can't forget is when things get tight in the playoffs, James Harden just disappears. Like that's why after Game One, I was like. Well, yeah, everybody's like, oh, James Harden is back. In the it's the first time we've seen it in a while, but I think I said that was his 11th 40-point playoff game. Oh, was it? Granted, he's been in a, he's been in a lot of playoff games, but 11 40-point games is kind of insane. Mm -hmm. And they always come in the first half of the series. It's the games 5, 6, and 7. Or I'm hoping that it translates to Game 4 for my own fan's sake. When things get tight and tough he doesn't always show up as big. So yeah. I would I, I foresee a similar outcome as it was kind of close the entire game down to the wire, but I wouldn't be I kind of lean towards Philly getting it done tonight because they couldn't on. I don't know. That, that all makes sense. I kind of rambled through a lot of the Celtics' <laughs> first couple games with the Sixers. But I'd, I'd like, I'd, I think Philly probably gets a, the game that ties it 2-2, two -two, mm -hmm. which makes it a little scary. But I feel like Boston can get it done. I can definitely see that. But yeah, Paul Reed, though, it kind of makes sense. Like, obviously, you're not expecting a game like that from him multiple times or every time. But he is just kind of one of those players that's like, built for playoff moments you know he's got a lot of heart cut from the same cloth as like a jimmy butler obviously to a much lesser extent but you know just that kind of mentality 
I love me some Paul Reed. He's probably my favorite player on the Sixers. But anyways, over to, I guess, I don't know. I don't have a lot to say about the other series, to be honest, with Heat Knicks or Warriors Lakers. The best way I can kind of describe my thoughts on this playoffs, like the this season, is I feel like almost, you know, how everybody's making their separate tiers of who they think are favorites to win the title this year. I feel like almost it should be just one big tier in a way, maybe two. This year, more than any other year that I can remember, things seem so like even, like anybody could win. Um, I don't have a lot to say about like who is going to win. It's more just I feel like the value I can bring to uh, you know analyzing this playoffs is looking at the games after they've happened and talk about why you know it turned out a certain way. But predicting is going to be a hard thing to do moving forward in this postseason. Making arguments for each team is almost better than like guessing who it's going to be because like each team has its argument yeah exactly to be why they're going to end up winning the finals and when you said the one or two tiers i think it's two tiers because there's teams where i like if i were to go bet these are the teams that i'd feel better about betting on yeah it's nuggets celtics and then i don't think there's a third one that i would feel good about like betting money on yeah just because of both those teams have home court through the playoffs until the finals itself and where they both currently sit at in the series they're in is advantageous because I don't trust the Lakers enough to put them in that tier. But then I put everybody else like it's right under. It's not like this giant gap like we felt we had in the regular season. So it's it'll be an interesting playoffs as we kind of keep on pushing through. Yes. And uh, even though I just talked about how making predictions is going to be difficult, um, I'm still going to do that. So I'm going to pick the Warriors in the Lakers series. I think that they are going to come back and pull it out. And I think I'm going to stick with Miami in the Heat Knicks series. Uh, Jimmy looked pretty mobile for, you know, what happened to his ankle uh, in game one when he was playing in game three. So and then Nuggets, obviously, taking them out of the Nuggets Sun series. And I, I think I'll, I'll go with Boston, honestly, with the Philly series, because like you were saying with Joel Embiid, his production in game two, really ever since he's been back for the most part, hasn't been enough to really win games for Philly in this series. And just honestly, the effort that the Celtics as a roster, like by committee, like especially like Grant Williams, you know, playing defense on Joel Embiid has been pretty inspiring, to be honest, (laughs) how they're, you know, they're just by grit and determination alone, they're forcing turnovers and not allowing the ball to get into him or allowing him to, you know, take advantage of his size mismatch that against basically anybody on the roster. So unless we see Joel Embiid really come up big and take over. I feel like Boston's going to win this series pretty easily. But I I could definitely see, yeah, Joel coming out more motivated this game today and tying it up. So, yeah, that's, I guess, what my picks are going to be. Don't feel great about them at all. But nevertheless, that's what I pick. So moving on now to this this uh bucks team that just fired their head coach and mike budenholzer and they haven't they haven't announced who they're hiring yet have they at least not that i've seen i have not seen anything on a, on a hiring decision a lot of people have a good feeling on who it will probably be but also the unless maybe nick nurse didn't want that the job of the rockets of the bucks of the rockets I feel like Nick Nurse is a better hire than Ime Udoka, I think. Mm-hmm. Isn't Udoka already hired by the Rockets? That's what I mean. Like, they, Nick Nurse was out. And never mind, this is going on a different tangent. But I just was saying that unless Nick Nurse didn't want that job, he must have known that a bigger profile job was coming up, being like, I would like oh, to capitalize on yeah. this window, and didn't want to start over with a new team. That was my thought. 
So I feel like the writing on the wall is Nick Nurse is going to be the Bucks head coach. But looking back at kind of what led to Budenholzer being gone, it's going to be a very interesting thing that we're going to do here today. Mm-hmm. And uh, also to quick speculate on who's going to be the next head coach, my instinct told me Nick Nurse, and I feel like that's what everybody else has been saying too. But I'm starting to question that now because of usually when Bill Simmons says something on a podcast, it's like completely opposite of what everybody else is saying. It's usually because he has some sort of source. And he seemed to be like completely dismissive of Nick Nurse. Like He was like, to me, that doesn't make sense. Like that's not a Nick Nurse job. That doesn't seem like that's, I know, that I, that's my reaction that I had too. Jacob made a confused face. But I think he might just be saying that because he has a reason to believe that they're going to be hiring Frank Vogel because that's who he did start talking about as getting the job there. So I don't know if that means something or not, or if he truly is just having a, you know, out of normal opinion that isn't based on any real information. Yeah, and Vegas almost always knows things as well. And, and at least like if they have odds that look weird, it's because they know something. Right now best odds are Nick Nurse at plus 300, Charles Lee is plus 450, Frank Vogel is plus 600, David Adelman is also plus 600, and then it drops off. David Adelman, man. And then you've got Kevin Young at plus 750, Dan Tony 850, uh, Becky Hammond 850 and then the field is 5. Mm, I see. And those are from, uh, it's bookies.com, but I was just trying to find like what sportsbook did that. But anyway, they also pretty aggressively think it's Nick Nurse. Charles Lee is not a name that I've heard. Charles Lee. I don't even know who that is, I don't think. I know David Adelman is the assistant in, in Denver. He is currently, oh, he's on the staff now. I think. Oh, with the Bucks. Uh, he's got Bucks. Yeah, he look. it looks like he's on the staff now. Okay, I gotcha. But I don't know if that's, those are lines being set by actual like the sports book or that's like what people are betting right now i know the lines always they start usually by just what these are hypothetical nba futures odds so literally garbage but somebody that took a bunch of time to be kind of close yeah but i'm pretty sure those numbers that you're seeing there aren't the numbers that somebody you can't go bet that at the bank now yeah well I, i just mean that i don't think that's what like somebody just made those up arbitrarily like those are influenced now by what people are betting like those lines change based on what the market or like what people are actually putting money on so the public pushes what the line becomes yeah which usually is right it usually ends up being right in most cases but there are some cases where like the information was kept pretty close to the chest and so the overwhelming majority of people didn't know about it so like the you know the number one pick in this year's draft or last year's draft now with Paulo and uh, Jabari Smith so Jabari Smith was supposed to be the first pick he had that at the top of the odds books um, all the way up until the night before the draft it just flipped all of a sudden to Paulo for like an hour and then it flipped back to Jabari all the way up until the like right at the beginning of the draft so that was kind of weird that like we saw that little flip but overall it was still jabari as the betting favorite so yeah i guess all i'm trying to say is weird things do happen with that sometimes but so yeah it'll be an interesting thing to see i would be i guess critical like i don't think hiring frank vogel would be the right move for (laughs) this bucks team i think nick nurse by far would be the the best option but that's just me but yeah now moving on to why i guess budenholzer is not there in uh, Milwaukee and plus more like we're not just going to be talking about that but I kind of wanted to start with I think I might play it I'll put this clip in of Giannis's interview that I'm sure most people have heard the post-game interview that Giannis had 
I just asked Bud the exact same question, but I'm curious for you. Do you view this season as a failure? Oh, my God. Uh, okay, because I'm not that up. We, you asked me the same question last year, Eric. Okay, uh, do you get do you get a promotion every year on your job? No, right? So every year you work is a failure. Yes or no? No. Every every year you work, you work towards something, towards a goal, right? With, which is to get a promotion, to be able to uh, take care of your family, to be able I don't know, um, provide the house for them or take care of your parents. You work towards a goal. It's not a failure. It's steps to success. You know, and if you've never, I don't know, I don't want to, I don't want to make it personal. So, there's always steps to it. You know, um, Michael Jordan played 15 years, won six championship. The other nine years was a failure. That's what you're telling me. No, I'm asking you a question. Yes or no? Okay, exactly. So why are you asking me that question? It's a wrong question. There's no failure in sports. You know, there's good days, bad days. Some days, some days you are able to uh, be successful. Some days you're not. Some days it's your turn. Some days it's not your turn. And that's what sports about. You don't always win. Some other other people's gonna win. And this year, somebody else is gonna win. Similar as that. We're gonna come back next year. Try to be better. Try to build good habits. Try to uh, play better. Not have a 10-day stretch with uh, playing bad basketball. You know, and hopefully we can win a championship. So 50 years from 1971 to 2021 that we didn't win a championship, it was 50 years of failures. No, it was not. It was steps to it, you know, and we were able to win one. Hopefully we can win another one. You know, I, sorry that I didn't want to make it personal because you asked me the same question last year, and uh, last year I was in the, in the uh, right um, mind space to answer the question back. I feel like, you know, I haven't heard very many people talk about it the way that I guess that I view it. And as time has passed, I've also seen like other people's points more so with how, you know, people are just kind of criticizing the fact that he's saying that their season overall isn't a failure. And, you know, they people just fundamentally disagree with that. And I understand that. And I don't even think that I agree with him on that. But I guess just the spirit of what he's saying And what he's trying to describe about how just boiling down a single season or like, you know, people's careers down to one word a lot of times is like really unfair. And just because they didn't do what they needed to do in the first round of the playoffs doesn't mean there was no good that happened in this season uh, type of thing. And I think the point that he's trying to make would be uh, supported much more like it would be a very uh, it would be made much better or much more strong if it wasn't the outcome that it was this season, like if it was said last year, you know, if he had this quote after last year's postseason when they lost to Boston in the second round of the playoffs without Chris Middleton, I feel like this quote hits a little bit harder. Like it actually is like, oh yeah, this really works. But in this context, I do see how this is technically one of like the biggest colossal failures in the postseason that we've ever seen. (laughs) And this is when he's giving that kind of a quote. So yeah, I guess those were my thoughts on that. I know that you, or I don't know, I guess I don't know what your opinion on was it totally, but I know our friend Anthony, at least, when we talked about it over text, which we referenced last episode. So this this took place before me and Jacob's big spout back and forth via text, where I said something along the lines of Giannis's post-game interview was gas. And Anthony was like, yeah, I don't know. 
it was basically a failure. So yeah, I think we're kind of saying two different things. You know what I mean? Like I, I don't disagree with the people who disagree with Giannis, but I also feel like the way I interpreted it or what I took away from it wasn't necessarily what he was answering about the failure question, if you get what I mean. Yeah, and the thing that I immediately had with it was like, it was a good sentiment. I don't know. I I was like very like 50-50 on it, I guess. Mm-hmm. Because from a sports perspective, I think just failure is like being used as an all-encompassing, all-catch term. Mm -hmm. Total failure, absolutely not. Did you fail your goal of winning an NBA championship? Yes. Mm -hmm. So I think the way that he worded it and then like moved it into like real world, but like how he drew a line between what like normal people deal with and basketball players, I thought that was good. Where he was like, Mm -hmm. did I feed my family? Did I do this? That'll make sense. But it also was not a total failure because you did all the things that you needed, but like Mm -hmm. you didn't win a title and that's like the goal. Yeah. If it's not the goal, you shouldn't be getting paid what you're being paid. (laughs) Like just straight up um, in my opinion. So I, I also am in the boat where I get both sides. I probably lean a little bit more. It wasn't straight gas, Mm -hmm. but like when he like correlated it to like, well, if you look at real life, let's say, well, this year, I think he said promotion. He's like, yeah, I'm going to get a promotion, but if you don't get it, you still fed your kids. You still your family. Family. You still did great work. Yeah. Was your year a failure? Yeah. And I think total failure and failure are totally different things. Mm-hmm. Not to use totally too many times. But yeah. Like they're 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 separate problems. Because no, it was not a total failure. They were a very good team. He was third place in MVP voting for him personally. He did a lot of things fine. Just other things did not go well. Also, I felt like he did not get to catch enough slough for his disappearance in the fourth quarter in overtime yeah, in that last game. Mm-hmm. Because like we talked about it a little bit last week, but I was like the Bucks that we knew going into the playoffs did not lose to the Heat. A Bucks without their best player by miles. They didn't have him for a good 65% of the minutes played in that playoff series. And even for the, let's say half of the minutes they had him, he was aggressively hobbled. Mm-hmm. Not that you, I'm not taking anything away from Jimmy Butler because he hit shots that he doesn't normally. He stepped up to a different level. Oh, yeah. But just like focusing on the Bucks side of things, they didn't have Giannis. And yeah, it just was a, an interesting dealio. Yeah. And even when they did, yeah, like you mentioned down the stretch of, of game five, which was the closeout game, he, you know, was missing all those free throws. I think he shot like 40% from the free throw line in this series. And down the stretch of the game, he literally just did not want the ball. Like he almost threw the ball out of bounds on one of those plays after a jump ball uh, because he did not want to get fouled. And, you know, I think the way that like there's something to be said about the way that they were running their offense that could have been changed to combat that. Like, number one, I think even regardless of this situation with the the uh, him struggling at the free throw line, the way I would normally run my Bucks offense if I was Mike Budenholzer. Did I say his name right? That sounded weird to me. Mike Buden, yeah, Mike Budenholzer. Um, sounded normal to me. Better than uh, Dagelmutt. <laughs> oh, man. I, I need to clip that and put that somewhere, to be honest. That was the all-time moment. <laughs> yeah. But um, uh, how I would normally run the Bucks offense if I was Budenholzer would be to use Giannis as a screener. Bud loves to put the ball in Giannis's hands a lot in the Bucks offense, and that's why we get a lot of just kind of pointless... Giannis pull up threes or pull up mid-range jumpers that he's not very good at and we get it just it basically becomes Giannis has to break down everybody off the dribble and that's where you see you know how Toronto was able to beat them uh, multiple years or at least one year in the playoffs recently with the last few years um, by just building a wall 
against Giannis. You know, that only works when Giannis is the ball handler. And Giannis as a screener and roller is one of the, he's like one of the most physically gifted people we've ever seen to play that role. And the fact that they just don't use that all the time, I think is kind of a mistake to me. And especially just looking at watching all the plays in this series, because I took a very big deep dive into this series after it ended and went back and watched a lot more footage of it. And like the only time the Bucks really seemed to have it going offensively was in those sequences where they had Chris Middleton and Giannis pick and rolls with the ball in Middleton's hands. That was the only time that they were really able to create really efficient offense. And I don't know, I just, to me, if you're not going back to that, when you see in, the, in a series that that's what's working, why you don't go to that in a closeout game down the stretch, you know, in a must-win game, I, I should say it wasn't closeout because from their perspective, they're not the team closing out the heat. They're the team that's going to be knocked out. So, yeah, the fact that they don't go to that, I think, was pretty big. And, you know, all those other decisions that we kind of touched on last episode with with the defensive coverages that they've been, they were throwing at Jimmy Butler, how he was just coming off of every screen with Drew Holiday going under it, so he would have an open jumper every time, uh, never sending any doubles at him, uh, never putting Giannis on him even once to test that out, just always keeping the same, because, you know, Drew Holiday is a great defender, but Jimmy was really able to utilize the size mismatch a little bit against him. So just throwing out different things at Jimmy, I just can't believe that you don't try at least something. And then really botching the coaching job down the stretch of the game and in, in regulation, especially with um, not putting Brooke Lopez on the inbounder. You know, you have giant people on your team. Why not just put one of those guys on the person throwing the inbounds pass? Instead, you know, he gets a wide open kind of view to throw a lob up to Jimmy for Jimmy to catch at the rim. And the only two people at the rim, they're they're both like wing size. It's Chris Middleton and Pat Connaughton, I think, who are defending him at the rim. That was just a weird decision to me. And then after that play where there's 0.5 on the clock, they have a timeout to advance the ball. They don't use it. They just inbound the ball to Giannis. And Giannis doesn't even get a shot up to end regulation with the season on the line. Just, yeah. I, it just really felt like a game that he was trying to lose in a way for some reason. But... That's just kind of the the story of Mike Budenholzer, where he develops a great system throughout the regular season. But then once he gets to the playoffs and he's facing a unique matchup that is game planning to combat his system that he always uses, he never makes any changes or adjustments to that system. But Jacob, did you have thoughts? Yeah. So looking at like the Bucks as they currently sit, this is kind of moving on a little bit, but still like Bucks directly related. Is this Bucks team as we see it now, is this core, is their window already gone? Mm. Not that Giannis's window's done, or not necessarily that any of these players' windows are done, but in the role they sit at and what they need them to do now. Is Chris Middleton going to be able to be a number two guy with his injury inconsistency, which is which sucks? Yeah. But is he going to be able to be a number two guy on a, on a championship level team? Is Drew Holiday able to be what Drew Holiday's role is for this Bucks team on a championship level team? The only one I can confidently say, yes, the role they do now is they can still do that and win a championship is Giannis and then Brooke Lopez, I think. Being just like, because Brooke Lopez isn't, he's not something they rely on every night night offensively but his defensive presence is still there yeah but even that's a little bit iffy because he's getting older now he's 34 i think right now or at least because so I, I feel like this core doesn't have a window anymore just with how the league is like it just gets it gets harder and harder i think 
I think it's still there for them next season. I don't think it's completely closed yet, but it definitely is shrinking at this point, is what I would say. Because Philly is a team that I think's window is wide open still. Mm-hmm. A couple things need to change, but their core, I don't know. James Harden's getting old, so maybe I shouldn't say wide. But yeah. Philly's window is definitely not closed. Boston's window is definitely not closed. Mm-hmm. But then you look at like the Bucks. But the Knicks window is definitely not closed. It's just getting harder and harder that if the Bucks are, they can't just have Giannis like force the door, the window open mm-hmm. with what else he's working with. And I'm, it's just an interesting thing moving forward. Of is it going to turn into what's a team that like had pieces they just couldn't quite get done? The Cavs with LeBron the first time. Yeah, like there just was like, okay, you've got this piece, this guy that puts you in a position, but he can't haul everybody to the promised land he can get you there but he can't get you through the gates mm-hmm. so it's just an interesting thing to think because i also feel like all of these guys in a different role and like you said maybe next year they still can get it done but drew holiday with the way he plays and the way his mind works basketball iq wise will almost always have a place probably until he retires on a nba like a rotational piece but yeah is he going to be able to be a starting defensive lockdown point guard for you or a guy that's worth a max contract that he's currently on. Yes. Yeah. Um, and then like Chris Middleton, this is like disrespectful, but he's like a freakishly overqualified what Gallinari was going to be for the Celtics before he tore his ACL. Just because he's so inconsistently around and there, he still has the skill set basketball wise, but he just couldn't stay healthy. He hasn't able to be a rebound. But maybe this longer offseason will give him that. Maybe that's just what he needs. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I-, I just thought that was an interesting thing to think about, that even if they get – the perfect coach, let's say it's Nick Nurse, and he perfectly knows exactly how he can do this with the roster he has. Yeah. Is the personnel enough with how the East and even the West is growing so quickly? And maybe you're right, because if you look at the teams that are close, there's one more year before I feel good about the Thunder's window starting to open and some of the younger teams, the Kings, and all those teams are Cavs. still a little bit further out. Cavs are another team that I don't know if that'll ever work. I think Donovan Mitchell is just going to be a perennial, very scary in the regular season and then can't do enough to carry his team. <laughs> just kidding. That's Donovan Mitchell hate. <laughs> but yeah, anyway, what do you think about that? Like, what what do you feel about the concept of are the is the Bucks window closed? You kind of touched on it. But. Yeah, I think it is definitely closing. And the thing is, I guess my thought on it would be I look at it as the issue is they don't have much they can do to keep it open you know what i mean like the window is definitely in the process of closing it's getting pretty close now and i don't see a lot of ways that they can extend it because they've tied their own hands in a way with the contracts that they have on their their roster with you know having three max guys with middleton and drew and i don't know like i kind of doubt they're going to be able to keep drew in the off season whenever he's due i think that's next year but like looking at that, I guess, like I, I feel like he's going to be a guy that him and his agent are going to be asking for a, a max contract again. I don't know if you want to hand that out. And I feel like there's going to be a team out there that probably will, to be honest, justified or not. But what I think this team really needs is a table setter. You know, the same thing that we said for years that this team needed um, up until they won the championship. And then I guess it just kind of went out the window of like, oh, well, they're fine now. They don't need anything. <laughs> but I think they still have the same issue of, you know, Drew Holiday is a combo guard. It's not like he is a pure point guard, not a guy that, you know, is going to get you into your offensive set in like the most masterful way 
possible. Like that's why Middleton, I feel like with the ball in his hands is their best. That's their best offense because he's a pretty good playmaker and the threat of his scoring provides a lot for that offense. And then just having Giannis roll off the ball creates so much gravity. And if they had like, you know, we said for years, Chris Paul would be a guy that would fit on this team really well. Obviously, he's kind of past his prime as well. And there's not a lot of younger guys that fit that mold. But yeah, it looks like Drew is going to be up for his next contract after next season. And they just traded five first round or five second round, excuse me, five of their second round picks, which is all of the second round picks that they have available to trade to get Jay Crowder in this season. And (laughs) the funniest stat to me about this series is that's more picks than Jay Crowder had field goals in this series. (laughs) So then my other thing is, this kind of pivots into the coaching side. Why? Is Jay Crowder just that washed after sitting for a while? Oh, yeah. I think that's a big part of it. Also, people, including me, didn't really think back to what he looked like in the postseason last time he was there, which was just last year, and how Phoenix got stomped by the Mavericks to go out. Like, he was not the same guy he had been the previous years guarding Luka, which I guess you could chalk that up to who does look good guarding Luka. But there was definitely, I guess, some question Kyrie, marks there. Kyrie, actually. Kyrie slows down Luka a lot. <laughs> That's 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 that could be an episode in itself. What the heck does the Dallas Mavericks do? But back to the Bucks. Sorry, I cut you off. But yeah, who looks good guarding Luca? Nobody. Nobody. Yeah, but Jake Crowder fitting on this team was not something that was like a surefire thing, and they gave away a lot of assets in a way. I mean, like I know five second round picks isn't like a ton, but for this team that already is a barren wasteland of things that they can actually you know maneuver and do to improve the roster that would help a lot you know just getting some good role players in there that could fit around what they have they don't have as much flexibility there anymore and all all the moves that they can make now are just on the margins you know little uh free agent signings here and there so yeah it's a tough look for the bucks and i guess going back to this series i kind of wanted to touch on the heat side of things also with how this series was coached by Eric Spolstra and how this was just a complete like night and day difference in terms of the coaching. Just looking at the rosters, the Heat was the far inferior roster in this series. Even with like Giannis off the team, like if you just have a Giannisless Bucks versus this Heat team, like the Bucks on paper should win. I genuinely believe that. In a normal situation when you don't have playoff Jimmy Butler. Yeah. That, that being the best player in the series by miles. Yeah, that definitely like, changes That makes things. sense to me. Yeah. Yeah, a big part of it was Bam didn't really have that great of a series and Tyler Hero wasn't even here and Kyle Lowry is not looking like the Kyle Lowry of old. He had a few moments, but it's like how did Eric Spolstra how was he able to pull off this five game upset? with a team that was so lacking of like real contributors on the roster. He just was able to extract every little bit of value that he could out of out of his players because like watching game five down the stretch, like the adjustments that they made with Bam, you know, early on, Bam was not being a contributor at all. Uh, when, you know, he was trying to go to work in the paint, shooting at those little like floaters and mid-range, really short mid-range shots that he normally goes to throughout the season. Just that size of Brooke Lopez defending him was making it really tough. And so then, you know, they made the adjustment to bring Bam out onto the perimeter to try to stretch Brooke out a little bit and just run a bunch of DHOs, uh, you know, dribble handoffs with Duncan Robinson and some of the shooters there. 
And that was better, but there was still a problem there where, you know, Brooke was able to sag off him quite a bit. And, you know, you, you still had your offense was basically Jimmy Butler has to have the ball and just ISO and get a bucket, which we, he was doing over and over again. But that's what you were relying on every trip down. And I thought the adjustment that they made in the fourth quarter really unlocked the game for them. Um, and, you know, was able to because they were down. Let's we, I don't think we mentioned this, but they were down. The Heat were down 16 points at the start of the fourth quarter and were able to make this comeback. And I think a big part of that was bringing Bam out to be the point guard. So they would have Bam initiate the offense, bring the ball up the floor every time. And now you have Jimmy positioned off the ball where he can cut behind the defense off screens, do all that kind of stuff. And like, that's why if you just watch every Jimmy Butler shot throughout the game, you know, in the first half and like through most of the game, you you just see a bunch of like Michael Jordan or Kobe looking plays where he's driving to the mid range and like pulling up and shooting. But then in the fourth quarter, like every basket is him just cutting off the ball and under the rim and getting the ball and, and putting it up like that became his offense because Bam is a very, very good playmaker. He basically turned into like Magic Johnson being being a point guard and was able to just keep hitting Jimmy on those cuts. And they weren't getting a lot of help on those cuts either, which is the other thing that I, I think just Bud failed to adjust. That was the difference. Like if you look at a series, just the, the series as a whole, it's hard to like, but that's a moment. That's a, a 17 minutes of basketball on the court where you can look and be like, there is the difference between the two head coaches and it ended up sending the Bucks home. Mm-hmm. Spolstra seeing that or thinking of that, or maybe it was a player, who knows, but knowing Spolstra, it feels like a Spolstra thing yeah. to have come up with. You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it, I mean, it was genius. Like, you look at the box score, not only did they outscore by 16 because they were down 32 points and they held the Bucks to 16 points. Yeah. Because overtimes, how long is overtime? Five, Five minutes? minutes, yep. Yeah. So in the last 17 minutes of basketball, the Bucks only put up 24 points compared to the Heat's 42. Yeah, and that was, I just don't get how when you're Bud and you see that Giannis, you know, you're you're continuing to go with your same offense, which is the ball is in Giannis's hands and Giannis visibly does not want the ball in his hands. Why you don't just make a simple adjustment to put the ball in Middleton's hands or at the very least just Drew Holiday's hands and use Giannis as a screener. Like, why don't you just do that? <laughs> like, it would be much better than what you're doing right now, which is nothing. And it's just mass confusion. And people are playing hot potato with the ball and throwing the ball out of bounds and not wanting to take the shot. It's just it was like leaderless in a way. You know, they did, they had like a directionless vibe to the offense that was uh Something that I felt like was pretty obvious and pretty like correctable, but did nothing to do that, I guess, which I don't think that Bud, like I said a few episodes ago, I don't think Bud is a bad coach overall. He gets another job. He should, in my opinion. I agree. 100% get another job. I just really think that he has to like start when, when he gets into the playoffs, he has to look in the mirror and think about like, I can make adjustments. How would I try to beat me? Yeah. No, like that kind of thing. if, if If you can't. He does such a good job of game planning against just in general. Yeah. How would I try to beat the Bucks? How would I try to beat me? Mm-hmm. And then like just play chess with himself a little bit. Yeah. Because he's got the IQ for it because he wins so many games in the regular season based on this. Like, yeah. In a vacuum. Exactly. This is and nobody can argue with it. That is the best system to run with his guys in a vacuum. Uh-huh. So then just think what's the best system to run in a vacuum against my guys and don't let another team do that. Yeah. That's all you have to do. And he prop Giannis has three rings if B- Bud does that. Maybe. 
Honestly, maybe. I mean, no, he a million percent deserves uh, another job. And speaking of kind of the firings and the hirings, if you don't have any more points on that. I'm good. Yeah, you can go on. This is something that's irritating to me. I love Damian Lillard as a basketball player, but sometimes he tweets out things that I don't get. And when Budenholzer got fired, he was like, these coaches win titles and they get fired. It's no love. And I'm like, let's look at the list of the coaches that have been fired that have won titles recently. Mm -hmm. Tyron Lue and the Cleveland Cavaliers is the first one. Won it in 16. He got fired in October of 18. Yeah, after six games. I, I do disagree with that one. I thought that was a bad firing. but There are some bad firings that exist, but... At the end of the season, firing him probably would have been warranted to a certain extent. Oh, after that. After that whole season, if they wouldn't have done it six games in. Well. Yeah, sorry. He was fired in, ni- in 18, 19. Yes, in 18. It was October of 18. I have it right in front of oh, me. Oh, okay. So I thought I'm confident. Sorry. Yeah, I thought you said 16 for some reason or 17. No, he won it in 16 and then got fired in October of 18. Yeah, so which was the 18-19 season. Yes. And so it was right after LeBron left. It was LeBron-less Cavs. But even imagine if they let him finish out the year and then he gets fired. That seems like a warranted potentially firing. I don't know. It depends on how the rest of the season goes. Maybe not because LeBron's gone, so it's hard. Whatever. Yeah. Then Steve Kerr is almost all of this list if you go back in the year. So he's still with the Warriors. Mm -hmm. No surprise. Then you go to Nick Nurse. I think this firing was dumb. I don't get it. Unless he won it out. The thing is, I don't even think it's that correct to call it a firing. It was just kind of... A mutual parting of ways before the contract was over. Exactly. Like, I think it's more so the Raptors are thinking about, you know, the trajectory of their franchise probably want to not necessarily rebuild, but they're not in a mode right now where they're competing for a championship and they know that so they want a, to bring in a coach that's more in the timeline and has the same like vision for what they want to do and i don't think nick nurse is on that same vision right now and also nick nurse said during the season that he doesn't think that he'll be back next year you know he he basically announced it during the season which was weird so i don't know if i, I don't feel like it was a straight up firing i guess is what i'm trying to say okay then the next one we go is frank vogel one in 2020 Got fired in April of 2022. Is that that bad of a, of a firing? I don't think it was that bad, but I also think that he was used as the scapegoat when it really wasn't his fault. It should have been the GM that got fired. Yes. Oh, let's do. Let, let's take this. I can't even remember the GM's name. Rob Palinka. Yeah. Let's. Oh yeah, we've got all these defensive pieces that can help LeBron play the defense, and then LeBron's facilitating helps things in ADs. Like then they just said, let's not do that. Uh, let's trade all of it <laughs> let's get rid of literally all of it so and just go with the old man group which is fine and get russell westbrook but if you but granted if you would have told us in 2014 that this is the lakers we would be like they've won 19 championships <laughs> in five years um just because back then those names were crazy yeah. but anyway mm-hmm. so that one i get and then the Budenholzer one i like they all make sense to me like they're not these like Oh, no love. And that wasn't, I just, I don't get from the business side. Let's say Nick Nurse wanted to be gone. Like it sounds like he wanted to. Yeah. Okay. The Ty Lue one, too early. You either do it before the season because you're like, we don't like we're losing LeBron. We're not in a position where we, the similar story to where maybe the Raptors are at with Nick Nurse. They just shouldn't have waited until. Yeah, exactly. Six, six games you said into the season. Yep. But then Frank Vogel, I get, he, he was a scapegoat, but the Lakers look terrible. And they can't just fire LeBron. And I, yeah, I, I don't think Frank, yeah, exactly. But I don't think that Frank Vogel 
is like a great coach. Like he's just kind of like a so-so. Like he's he's the worst coach on this list by like a, a wide margin. I think. Yeah, I but I don't think that he's like a a ter- I guess what I'm trying to say is for that LeBron and AD Lakers team, Frank Vogel is just like there to not mess anything up. You know what I mean? Like he's just like don't mess anything up and you're gonna do fine. Um, and then once they got a roster that did not fit together at all and they had lots of problems and AD was injured and also just playing like not AD uh, in that next season, they were losing a lot of games and that makes sense. Like just with the math equation there, and I don't see why firing Frank Vogel is the answer to that. You know, it's not. It's I guess what I'm saying is I'm not against them firing him to try to get an upgrade on the coach if they think they have one. But I don't think that firing Frank Vogel is the answer to the problems that they had, if that makes sense. But yeah, that's just, yeah, I guess. So on that one, I can kind of see, you know, Dame's quote of saying like, oh, showing no love to these coaches who won titles. I should find the actual quote so we didn't misquote him, but that was the energy of the tweet was like. Yeah, and I also heard the same thing from Steve Kerr in his interview where he talked about a similar thing of how, you know, he started, he was kind of praising Mike Budenholzer and how good of a coach he is. Folks out here firing championship coaches as soon as they don't win the chip. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe the no love thing was some sort of player related because I remember him saying that recently. But but yeah, same spirit. But yeah, Steve Kerr was, you know, complimenting Mike Budenholzer. And I, I didn't really disagree with what he was saying either. It was like, yeah, Mike Budenholzer is good at all these things that you're describing. But you forgot to mention his glaring weakness that, you know, is the reason he he got fired. So, yeah, I guess I understand to a certain extent why people are like, hey, you know, because I do think coaches are blamed more often than they are the actual problem. Yes. GMs dodge Mm -hmm. so much flack across. Yeah. So like you can even go back to like Brad Stevens didn't get fired, but like that Celtics team was just like an echo chamber of the same guys. Because they looked close, but they like very rarely shifted anything out to try to make something new. That's not necessarily a Brad Stevens problem. It might be a Danny Ainge problem. We brought one up the Lakers as a perfect example. Frank Vogel didn't do anything to help the problem, but he didn't cause the problem. Yeah. Like at all. Uh-huh. Sorry, I cut you off, but. No, yeah, th- that's perfectly fine. I think the GM definitely skates by. Uh, doesn't get any of the blame for the most part. I think they're able to do that in a lot of cases because on a lot of teams, the person who is the GM, you know, we say we kind of use GM as a blanket term for anybody who's making those roster decisions. But a lot of times in like uh, Rob Plinka's case or Masai Ujiri's case, like they are the president of basketball operations. So they're, you know, they're in charge of all of the coaching staff, all of the business decisions that goes around who that team as a company basically hires. It's like they're the president of the company as a team, basically. So they have the executive ability to make all of those decisions. And when things aren't working, they can go, oh, let's fire the coach. The owner is the one who has to step in and and say, well, maybe let's replace the president, you know, type of thing. And that happens just a lot less often. So it's due to like the power, I guess, that a lot of these GMs have in a lot of cases. And the ones that you do see moved a lot of times are like people that are just like kind of GMs, which is like if somebody has the title of general manager, they are a lot lower on the pecking order than an actual president of basketball operations, because all a general manager's job is, is to structure the roster. He isn't necessarily in control of everything in the organization. So those are the guys you usually see that are more, I guess, replaceable or able to be booted. But yeah, I think that the heat shot making in this series was just like another really big variable that you couldn't really prepare for. 
but I just think when you're game planning in a series against Jimmy Butler from here on out, and it probably should have been like this for a while now, you can't look at his numbers from the regular season. You have to just look at his playoff numbers and game plan for that guy because regular season Jimmy Butler and playoff Jimmy Butler are not the same person as far as I'm concerned. And yeah, I think that's the the mistake that is made often with this guy. But yeah, with that though, I, I'll give a little quick shout out before we move on to um, Tom Thibodeau. Um, and his ability to kind of beat this bug or beat this critter, I guess, that the Budenholzer mold has where they aren't able to adjust in the postseason. They're really married to their ideas. You know, Tom Thibodeau was like that for a long, long time. And now in most recent years with the Knicks, he's turned a new leaf. He's a lot more progressive as, a, you know, a Tom Thibodeau coach team goes, able to, you know, adjust things and kind of morph his game plan, has a lot more wiggle room. Uh, so yeah, props to him for doing that because this Knicks run was unexpected by me, not unexpected by everybody. I'll, I wouldn't say that because I think there were a lot of Knicks believers, but it is very fun to witness. But yeah, so with that, we can move on to the last segment of today's show, which will be our little trivia game that we love doing, which I'm going to get some players for Jacob on that right now. So if you haven't heard an episode with this before, what we do is we generate three random NBA players and we give each other small clues as to who this player might be. uh, And we have to guess who each player is and we will alternate back and forth between me and Jacob. So Jacob, you want to give me the first one? Sure, we will start with the easiest one of the three. And I was pretty sure I knew the height, but I wanted to confirm. They stand at six foot six. Six foot six. And this is a current player? Yes, it is. Hmm. Six foot six. And this is on basketball reference. So I need to be thinking about that because some places have a little bit different heights for people. I'm going to go with Devin. No, I'm going to go with Zach Levine. He's not Zach Levine, but this player is listed as two positions. One of them is shooting guard, like Zach Levine. The other one, point guard. Point guard. 6-6, shooting guard, point guard. In that order? Point guard, shooting guard. Okay. Is the order. I just was trying to trail off of your last guess of Zach Levine. Yeah. Is this Shea Gilgis-Alexander? That it is. Oh, wow. I thought he would be listed at 6'5 on there for some reason. But 6'6 six, six six, makes six. sense. The next thing was going to be he was drafted by the Charlotte Hornets. Charlotte Hornets, technically. Hmm. I don't know if I would have got that. 11th pick in the first round. Yeah, it was the 2018 draft. Mm-hmm. Lucas draft. Technically, it was the Hornets that drafted him. Huh. The Clippers had back-to-back picks there. One, I guess one of them was the Hornets, but they also had another pick there, which I think was Jerome Robinson. I just know that they, the Clippers uh, beat themselves up a lot because they had two picks to use right before Michael Porter Jr. was drafted, and they didn't use either of them on Michael Porter Jr. I feel like if they didn't try to get Paul George, they'd be okay because they had Shea, you know? Yeah, like, no, for I, sure. I, not to suspect, I'd rather have Shea. Uh, oh yeah, for sure. Michael Porter Jr. <laughs> I agree. Yeah, I'd agree with that. All right, now this next one. Uh, is going to be, I guess the most obvious will be, yeah, okay, I got it. And who, what do we usually start with for you? Do we do the college? College. Okay. This player went to UCLA. He was a Bruin. Zach Levine. It is not Zach Levine. Russell Westbrook? No. Kevin Love? No, I'll move on to the next hint. (laughs) And so who he got drafted by, is that what you want? Yeah. He was drafted by the Philadelphia 76ers. Sixers, UCLA. Sixers, UCLA. Okay. I, I'm just going to need to go through. Uh, well, can I get the year? Because I'm not that smart. Mm-hmm. 2009. Oh, So boy. the Steph Curry draft. The Sixers, Steph 
Curry draft. Are they still in the league? Yes. They're probably like a prolific basketball player, and I'm just a moron. The Steph Curry draft. Mm-hmm. It's not Johnny Flynn. I also don't think he went to UCLA. He went to Syracuse. And it's not Westbrook or Love. Mm-mm. Okay. But I guess he would have been on the same team as them. Wait, no, I thought because Westbrook. they were 08. They yeah, were I, was, I was about to say, I think they were the 08 draft. Yeah. Um, give me another thing. 09 okay. draft to the Sixers. You want the team that they're currently on? No, let's do something. I'm trying to think of something that would be like. We could do position, age. Okay, this could be a fun. What are they known for? Oh, like the, what their skill, their calling card is. Yeah. What What's the What's their calling card? Defense. Defense. And their uh, did like Kevon Looney, but he's not a weight. <laughs> he did not go in a weight, but he's a. This is oh nine. So nine. No, say oh nine. So, but he's not a Bruin. <laughs> he was a Bruin, but he's not two thousand nine. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, um, I think he was like fifteen. A defensive. Have we spoke about this person in today's episode for we like have. five minutes? We have. This would be Drew Holiday. Yes. Bro- more commonly known as the brother of Aaron Holiday, who also. <laughs> <came up. laughs> yes. Aaron Holiday was a big part of the UCLA run in 20- 2018-ish. Yeah, that range. And they have another brother, Justin Holiday, but I don't think he went to UCLA. I think he went to like Washington or something like that. I I do I don't remember him as UCLA Bruin. Yeah, he was he was like a year older than Drew, but a lot of people think that he's younger, which is fun just because you know Drew better kind of came on the scene and yeah, it was better, faster. Yeah. Anyways, all right. Uh, nicknames though, did you were there oh. any nicknames on Basketball Reference for whoever my first S- player was? SGA. SGA. That's the only one. Yeah. Drew That's actually cool. has a few. Um, there's Jay Holla. Okay. There's the Druth. The Drew. That's pretty okay. Yeah, and Kung Fu Drew. This next one is a current player, but not rough. Just not the most well known. Okay, but he are you? He's on a roster right now. No, I'm a million percent positive that he is on. I'm pretty sure he's on the NBA roster. I might not be. We we can do it anyways. I, I, I sometimes get these. I'm pretty sure he is. I think. Okay. Six foot four. Six foot four. Um, might not be on a team. I'm gonna go with Matt Thomas. Gosh dang it, he's in the G League. He's in the G League. Um, we can keep going with him. I do want to try to get him because you you said that he's well known, right? Or maybe you didn't say that. You might have said the opposite of that. No, he did play this year. He did. Okay, my brain isn't broken. He did play this year. Okay, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. So he's six four. Um, do it. Wait. Uh, yeah. Give me a wait. Two oh five. 64205. He played this year, but he's also G League player. He played in 6 games this year starting in March. Oh, okay. This is just at the end of this season and I can't pinpoint like a player who's 64. I am kind of encouraged to give you help. Okay. I can you give me college drafted by what draft? What what do you want? Give me the year he was drafted. 2020. And was he drafted or was he undrafted? Yes, he was with the 50th overall pick. 50th overall pick in 2020? 2020? Is that what you said? 2020, even. Okay, 2020 draft. That was... His a 0.7% win share. (laughs) Okay, 2020 (laughs) draft was Anthony Edwards, right? And Lamello and James Wiseman. Oh, man. Okay, that draft. Jeez, 50th pick. Um, is the, do you think the, is college too good of a hint? I do, no, LSU, that's where they went to college. 
Oh, well, this isn't Nas Reed because he he plays actually for the Timberwolves. Like I, he only, he didn't only play six games. Went to LSU. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. LSU. What? <laughs> Nothing. His high school is very interesting. Uh Would you like to know where he went to high school? Sure. Louisiana State University Laboratory School in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Is this a point guard? Is well, yeah, he's six four. Shooting guard. <laughs> well, yeah, I guess I just meant yeah, backcourt player. Would Would you like the nicknames? I can give you one of them. Not no descriptor at all. It doesn't. His it does doctor. not similar to his name. No. Okay. Not even close. Okay. The other nickname is close to his name. Okay. Um, it's just Doctor. Doctor. I recognize this guy's name, but it's only because of college. I don't remember him in the NBA. That's why I had to double check. Is this Skylar Mays? Yeah. <laughs> wow. I was. I'm surprised I got that. Yeah, me too, a little bit. That's why I was like, I shouldn't do this one. And then I was like, whatever. He's played six games for Portland this year, at the end of the year. Okay. Yeah, I kind of got to that because... But he averaged 15 points a game. It is three, or is that total? No, I believe that. No, that's average. Yeah. He averaged 15 points a game in his six games at the end of the year. The end of the season is a weird time where you'll see teams like Portland or Utah this year, like teams that are trying to lose every single game down the stretch, just playing a bunch of people you haven't seen in a while. (laughs) And they're putting up a lot of numbers. Uh, Dr. Mays is his other nickname. He must actually be a doctor based on... Like the things that I'm well, seeing. The high school he went to was what Findlay it? Prep in Henderson, Nevada. That was the other one listed. But then it's the Louisiana State University Laboratory School in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Laboratory school. Hmm. But the reason I got to him was all of a sudden the dimensions clicked, like the six four two oh five. I was like, oh, like Skylar Mays is one of those guys that fits. Oh, that. he's not a physician yet, but he plans to be after oh, his time yeah, in see, the that's NBA. What I is thought. Done. Yeah, that's what I was going to guess based off of his education. But yeah, it just clicked to me with with his height and weight. And then I thought, did he go to LSU? I was like, that doesn't sound wrong. Like, I don't know if it is LSU, but that doesn't sound wrong. So that felt good. That, that was one of those ones where I like, I don't feel sure enough to where it's not very satisfying where I get it. You know what I mean? Like sometimes I'm like so sure of what it is that I'm like, oh, that wasn't really fun, you know, but it, it wasn't frustrating enough to where I had no idea you know who it was it was right in that sweet spot all right so your next guy though he went to virginia tech and he is currently in the league oh virginia tech virginia tech my brain i can't think of a single virginia tech basketball you want to get where he was drafted i would love that i don't think it's a very good hint um because i didn't know this he was drafted to the nets apparently in the first round with the 17th pick no I just didn't know where he went to school. Yeah, he never played for the Nets. Nick Claxton went to Georgia, I think. That is also a million percent right now that you say it. Um, but this player, though, he never played for the Nets. He went to, I want to say the Pelicans first. I can Earl check that. Thomas. No. <laughs> where did you pull that name out of? I, I just <laughs> said the Pelicans. I don't even know who Earl Thomas is, I don't think. What, what's the guy that had really big eyes that played for the Pelicans? I have no idea who you're talking about. Earl Thomas. I have to look this up. The, he doesn't even, he's not a person. You see it. <laughs> on, on, my, on Basketball Reference. Oh. How do you spell Earl? Maybe it's not Earl Thomas then. Earl Thomas is a football player. Like a very good safety. No, like I know... Pelicans Earl. Earl Boykins? I'm never going to come up with it. I'm just... (laughs) Okay. (laughs) But yeah, this player went to the Pelicans first. Pretty sure it was a trade on draft night. A trade on draft night. Um, Okay, come on. 
Dig deep. What year were they drafted? 2019, which was the uh, Zion draft. Virginia Tech. 2019. I have a good hint to give you that's like uh, if you give up, like because it's a pretty – I think it would give it away. I'll but. know it immediately if you tell me. Okay, it. Yeah. Um, Virginia Tech. Do you want his height Pelicans? or anything? Who, who has y'all played for that you can think of? Um, off the top of my head, he's played for the Pelicans. Okay. And do you want the order? No, just kind of just – or, or the order. Yeah. Um, Wait, I yes or no? Del Curry. I'm just kidding. He did go to Virginia Tech. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. This player currently plays. He's – so he went to the Pelicans. He spent like two years there. I go, I'll just look. So he spent two two and a half years there. Then he was traded midseason to Utah. And then he was traded again mid- midseason the next year from Utah to Minnesota, which was this season. Oh, um, cousin of your first person. Yep. Kill Alexander Walker. Yep, that was the hint that I was going to give you. Oh. Was that he was related to somebody that we've had in the game already. Yeah, his does he doesn't have any nicknames listed, but he does have, like, people call him on Twitter all the time, nah. Ah. N-A-W. Nah. Hey, okay, you ready for your Hall of Famer? Yes. Okay. For those that don't know, uh, Logan gets a Hall of Famer at the end because it's too easy to give him just guys that are still in the NBA. This NBA Hall of Famer stands at, uh, we're not doing height for this. Actually, that gives it away. The height gives it away? A little bit. Okay, then yeah, give me something else. Um, and also, you can give me like direction, like from like, is he above 6'5 or below 6'5? You can give me something like that too, if you wanted. That's fair. Um, he was inducted into the Hall of Fame in 2015. 2015, height would give it away. Is this Allen Iverson? No, but they played with Allen Iverson in their career. Hmm. This isn't Matumbo, is it? It is Matumbo. That's why I didn't wow. give you the height of 7'2. He's listed at 7'2? Yes. I had no idea. I thought he was like 6'11. I thought he was smaller than Shaq. Because he used to play against like the 2001 finals. Like he was bullied by Shaq. He was just labeled as 7'2, 245. He is indeed. Wow. Uh, nicknames Deke or Mount Matumbo. Yes, indeed. Mount Matumbo. My other was going to be he was drafted fourth overall and then not tell you the draft year. Yeah. <laughs> Nuggets legend. Dikembe Matumbo. How long was he in Denver? For good that stretch. A, that was a crazy... Like six years, maybe. Also, a, a decent stretch. I think that's where he started, too. Yeah, yes, he was drafted in Denver. Yeah. I think his best years were Denver and, and Atlanta. Sixers were kind of like his twilight years. And then somehow stayed in the league. Do you know when Dikembe Mutombo retired? It's going to blow your 2005. mind. 2005. 2009. 2009? He played with the Houston Rockets from 2009... 5 to 2009. I'll see if he that, played games. No, he did. I know. I know that he was, um, people think of him as like a Jordan's peer a lot. Like he was that same era, but he was like young when Jordan was in his prime. Yeah. but like, no, so that's, he, he was drafted in probably like 92, 93. 91. 91. 91. Yeah. Yeah, man. All right. So are you ready for yours? Yes, sir. I don't know if you'll get this one, to be honest. That's okay. I'm willing to admit defeat when I need to. Okay. You definitely knew who this player was when they were being drafted. Okay. So he's pretty recent within the last several years, like since we've been doing podcasts. Oh, okay. Okay. But he is no longer, I don't think he's on a team. He kind of fell out of the league. I, I was high on this guy in the draft, but he 
Yeah, he has not played any games this season. He's logged 13 total games in his career. Ooh. He went to the University of Stanford, where he was a one-and-done. A Stanford one-and-done? What position? He was a undersized guard. He's listed as a point guard here, I guess. But yeah, he, would, he was kind of a tweener. Like, you would have him off-ball a lot. He wouldn't necessarily be, like, the facilitator. But he's kind of like a wannabe Steph Curry type of player. Like he was a very, very good shooter. Pretty small. I should say very small, but or like a uh, Casey Tomonaga type of player. Okay. I thought I, you know, I we had a debate on draft night of who the best player or who the best shooter in this draft was. I was in favor of this player. You were in favor of Aaron Neesmith, who the Celtics drafted. So that'd be 19. 2020. Neesmith was 20. Yeah, this player was the 31st pick, which I thought. Because, like, he, he was projected to go higher than that. He was just a shooter. Just a shooter. Did you tell me the yeah. team yet or not? I have not. Okay. Um, Do you want that? Yeah. He was drafted to the Dallas Mavericks. Small shooter Mavericks. You defended him. Think yeah. That. He's listed he... at 6'2", 160, oh. but I don't think he's 6'2". I think he's probably smaller. I defended the Vanderbilt legend Aaron Neesmith as a better shooter than Tyrell Terry. Yep, that's him. That one hurt my brain. I was Tyler I don't know if you Terry. could if I took my headset off, you could see the smoke coming out of my ears. My brain was working in overdrive on that one. That <laughs> one hurt. <laughs> yeah, man. Tyler Tyrell Terry. Tyrell Terry. Yeah, I was pretty big on him in the draft. I thought he would pan out, but he did not at all. Proof of just shooting if you're too small is not overcomable. hmm Exactly. But yeah, there we go. That is today's show. We should get out of here because I don't want to keep Jacob any longer from his his Sixers Celtics game. I don't know why I said Sixers first there, but it's okay. <laughs> um, which I'm also going to watch and enjoy. Hopefully, it's kind of fun to watch those games, like Celtics Sixers, especially because like the two people I talk about basketball the most with are so like in love with those two teams, and I don't really have a horse in the race. I'm just kind of like a, a bystander, innocent bystander, watching from the side. But regardless of what happens, we will see you guys in the next episode. Stay happy, stay healthy. We'll see you then. Goodbye. Peace!